Lord, thank you for asking me to read this one. I particularly love this scripture. I love all the scripture, but I like this one in particular. It's Mark 11, uh, 27 through 33. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Seth, for reading that for us. And thank you also for leading us in worship. Those songs were spot on, brother. Can I ask you to bow with me as we pray this morning? Father, we see from this text that it really all comes down to authority. And Father, I pray that you would please work in us, Lord, and please teach us who you are more clearly. Please, Lord, reveal yourself to those who might not know you sitting in this room this morning, those who don't know you, Lord. Show yourself to be a true, real, proper ultimate authority. And Lord, those of us who do know you, Lord, I pray that you would continue to help us, Lord, to submit lovingly, willingly, joyfully to your authority to find fullness of joy in you. We find our true selves in you. Lord, please open our eyes, open our hearts to receive these texts, these truths this morning. And I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. When I was a student in Bible college, I took a philosophy class in my final year. The professor, whose name was Dr. Cowan, C-O-W-A-N, he's still living. I really recommend that you look up any of his writings, any of his works. He's, He's very good. But he also taught the class on apologetics. What is that? Well, it's not the art of apologizing. Apologetics, though many of us would need a class like that, um, the word apologia in Greek means to give a defense of or to to stand up for. So apologetics is a class that's all about defending why the Christian faith is is reasonable and, and logical. And so my professor was very good at doing that. He was also very good at showing why the scriptures are, are trustworthy. So he informed us that he was going to be in a formal debate with another professor at another secular university, and this professor was an open atheist. Dr. Cowan would be defending Christianity, and this other professor would be arguing the case for atheism. Dr. Cowan said that he would give us bonus points if we went to this debate. Well, I did not need any sort of sweetening of the pot 
I was going to that debate, bonus points or not. Well, it ended up going really well that night. Dr. Cowan was able to clearly lay out a reasonable defense for not only the existence of God, but the reliability of Christianity. And it was even more of a success because he was able to clearly share the gospel from the stage at that secular university in front of many, many people. Afterwards, we were, those of us in the audience who wanted to, we were allowed to ask questions of either person on stage. And I asked the, athe- the atheistic professor, because I wanted to know this. I like to really get behind why people believe what they believe, not just what they believe, but, but why they believe it. And so I asked him, I said, what's your authority for your beliefs? Like, what's, the, what's the firm, unshakable foundation that you build your beliefs on? Though I don't remember his full answer, because like I said, that was back when I was in college. We're talking over a decade ago. I don't recall his full answer, but I do recall that it wasn't very convincing. But I'll never forget how he started his answer. He said, I don't really like that word authority. (laughs) Now that's very telling. Authority, uh, in the Greek, the Greek word for authority is is the word exousia. It means the act or the, I'm sorry, it means the power or the right to act. The power to act, or the right to act, to do something. And of course, this atheist didn't like that idea because if God exists, then he would be the ultimate authority. And if he's the ultimate authority, then he has the right and the power and the wisdom to do whatsoever he pleases. And this atheistic professor was just like every other atheist. They want to be their own boss. Ultimately, they want to be their own God because they want to do whatever their sinful heart desires to do without feeling guilty about it, without feeling this is wrong. Because we all have some sort of guilt. It's just, about, it's just how do you handle your, your guilt? I don't, I, can, I don't even have to assume. I, I know you have some guilt in your life over something. It's just all of us do something with it. All of us medicate it in some way, or we either trust in Christ to be the one who took the punishment for that, so I don't need to feel guilty about it because it's already been taken care of. But atheists want to be the authority in their life, make their own rules, be their own God. Like we see recorded in the poem Invictus. Perhaps you've heard that poem before. You probably have Invictus. It's a popular poem. It's been around since the 1800s. It was quoted by uh, Nelson Mandela. If you've ever seen the movie about him that came out about 15 years ago, that's a, a big part of the start and the end of the movie, him quoting that poem. But as you might recall, that poem ends with, It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I'm the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. In case you didn't know, that poem was written by William Ernest Henley who, surprise, was an atheist. 
It really comes down to authority in our lives. That's what I've titled the message this morning even. It comes down to authority. Everything comes down to your authority in your life. He who has the authority has the right and the power to do whatever he, he pleases. And thank God that everything that the Lord of heaven and earth pleases to do is done in, in wisdom, is done in righteousness, is done in goodness, is done in justice. We have, a, we have a good authority over the universe. He's perfect, he's sinless, he's righteous, he's good. And aren't you glad? We can willingly, therefore, and happily submit to him because he can be trusted. Therefore, his authority can be trusted. So let's look at verse 27 then. Let, let's get into the text and... Look at this because, as you know, this topic comes up. This is what the the whole conversation is about. Jesus comes again to Jerusalem. This is where the Father has been leading him to fulfill that ultimate goal for his life. But we see that he's walking in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and elders come to him. In Luke's record of this account, Luke gives us a little bit more information. Luke says one day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel. So Jesus is not only walking in the temple, he's also teaching the people. Prior to this, we read how Jesus had prepared the temple courts. How did he do that? Well, you recall, by chasing out those extortioners and those people taking advantage of the worshipers. And the people were polluting the temple. Now, however, the temple is prepared. It's prepared not only for Jesus' presence, but also for Jesus' presentation. There was a presentation there that Jesus had a message, and we see from Luke's gospel that it was the gospel. That was Jesus' message. That's what he came to give to the people. He's always been preaching this message. And you know what's similar to this? This is how, how this all happened. It's very similar to how the Lord works in the heart of man. How so? Well, the Holy Spirit prepares the heart of man for the gospel by pointing out all those wicked things within the heart of man. We call this work of the Holy Spirit Conviction. Conviction is where you feel guilty about something in your life. You feel guilty about a certain sin. When it's done by the Holy Spirit, because you can feel guilty in many different ways, but when it's done by the Holy Spirit, we call that God's conviction upon you. Like how Jesus exposed what was wrong in the temple. He pointed at it and he said, this is wrong. Conviction is uncomfortable. It stirs things up, but it's necessary for what comes next. What comes next? Conviction lays the foundation for the gospel. Conviction lays the foundation for the gospel. We've even been talking a little bit about this on our Wednesday nights, how the law, God's Ten Commandments, lay the foundation for the gospel. Show you that you're a sinner so that you see your need for a Savior. Jesus prepared the temple for his ministry, then he preached the gospel to these people. Jesus has been very consistent with this from the beginning. This is the first time he's 
This message has come out of his mouth. Actually, if you recall back in Mark chapter 1, what was Jesus doing? Mark 1, 14. Listen to this. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus, he's the perfect preacher. And the first words we see coming out of his mouth in the book of Mark are, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent, believe the gospel. Those are the first recorded words we get from him in this book. So his message is the vehicle for change in the heart of sinful man. The gospel message is the vehicle for change in the heart of sinful man. No other thing, nothing on planet earth has the power to forgive sins and change a man's heart. Only the gospel. Paul said it in Romans chapter 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. Unto salvation for all who believe. It's the gospel, the good news, that has the power to save you from the damnation your sin brings upon you. Have you been saved from your sin? Has the Spirit done that uncomfortable work of conviction within you? Pointing at all those things in your life that displease Him? Have you felt that? Has He done that? He's doing that because He's trying to prepare you for the gospel. A conviction of the Holy Spirit is a good thing. We fight against it. We don't like it. We try to medicate it in some way, justify it in some way. But it's the Lord's doing to prepare us for the gospel. Have you repented of your sin? Have you turned your back on those wicked ways because of what they really are? Have you believed that Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, shed his blood and died in your place, taking the punishment that you deserve? If you believe that, do you know that he's risen again, proving that he is who he says he is, proving that the price was accepted? Price was paid and accepted by the Father. That's how the Father showed his stamp of approval on what God did, and what the Son did, rather, by raising him from the dead. That's how he showed, I accept this. So my question is this. Is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection, is that your only hope? Is that what you're banking everything on? Is that the only thing you're clinging to in order for you to be saved from the wrath of God? You know, when it comes to the investing world, it's, they say it's good to diversify your investments. What's that mean? It means you put a little bit in this, you put a little bit in this, you put a little bit in this, and, and then that way, if one, if one tanks and the other one blows up, then you're still good. When it comes to your salvation, you don't diversify you put all your hope in one place because all the other investments will tank. They're, they're nothing. Investing in Jesus, putting all your hope in Jesus, that's the best return on investment you'll ever get because the price has already been paid in Jesus. If you haven't trusted in him, let today be that day. Why not today? Today. 
The Bible says now is the time of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. Why not today? What's keeping you from putting your faith and trust in Jesus? What's keeping you from repenting of your sins fully? Let me tell you this. Whatever it is, whatever it is that's keeping you from doing that is a tool of the enemy. You're being used by the enemy and he is not interested in your well-being. He's interested in your damnation. He knows he's going to hell. The devil's not in hell right now poking people with a pitchfork. He will be thrown into the lake of fire one day. He is here on earth doing his work and he's really good at it. Do people who are deceived know that they're deceived? Do people who are deceived, do they know they're deceived? Well, no, they don't. That's the whole point of being deceived, right? You don't, know, you don't realize that you're being deceived. He's really good at his job. He convinces many people, you're fine. Don't listen to that skinny white guy up there on stage with glasses who's thinning hair. Don't listen to him. He's a moron. You know, you know that what you believe is right. Just hear him out and go get a nice lunch. And then tonight... Watch Netflix and fall asleep. You're fine. You're fine. Don't listen to him. You keep doing what you're doing. Jesus was in the temple preaching the gospel because that's the only hope for man. But not everyone was happy about it. With his actions that day before he had kicked the beehive And now all the bees were swarming him. Look at verses 27 and 28, the rest of 27 and all of 28. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. They said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do them? They wanted to know about his authority, about his right. Remember um, remember this slide that I made at the very beginning of our study of the book of Mark. So uh, look at this image. You guys might recall at the very beginning, very beginning of our study, I told you guys there's three areas that Mark emphasizes about Jesus in the book of Mark. The first one was that Mark emphasizes the authority of Jesus. Number two, he emphasizes being a disciple of Jesus. And then the third thing in his book, Mark emphasizes the real Jesus. So the, the authority of Jesus comes up a lot in this, in this book. And now it's come up again. Well, these Jewish leaders, more than likely also members of the Sanhedrin. What's the Sanhedrin? The Sanhedrin is like the Jewish court system of Jesus' day. Uh, they were responsible for determining whether or not someone claiming to be from God truly was. That's just one of the things. But it's interesting because we've already seen in the book of Mark how people have responded to Jesus. Listen to, listen to Mark 1.22. This is what some of the people who were hearing him teach said. Mark 1.22, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. Another reaction is also found in Mark 1.27. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What's this? A new teaching with Authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Then one day the Jewish leaders are even there 
listening to Jesus, watching him intently. In Mark 2, 10 and 11, listen to this. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home, so that you may know that I have authority to forgive sins. They saw it. They saw it. And they still didn't believe. According to the scriptures, Jesus has authority over, remember these, the four D's, I call them, doctrine, demons, disease, and death. Jesus has authority over those things. Doctrine, demons, disease, and death. He also has authority to forgive sins. He has authority to save. He has authority to judge. We see all that in the scriptures. MacArthur said, no one who's ever walked on this planet has had such authority as Jesus Christ. The chief priests, the scribes, elders, they weren't actually investigating Jesus. You need to know this. They weren't actually investigating him to determine if they thought he was right or wrong. They'd already made up their minds. They were just trying to gather incriminating evidence. Remember I told you more than likely these men were part of the Sanhedrin. So they were thinking about his court case and they were thinking, we need to just gather evidence. We just need some more evidence to incriminate him. They weren't a disinterested party. They were very focused on, no, we hate him. Now we just need to carry this out in a proper way. We know that because if you've got your Bible open, look at verse 18 of our same chapter. You have your Bible there? Look at verse 18 in our same chapter. It says, The chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. So they already wanted to destroy him. (laughs) They were just trying to find a way to do it. Seth already shared with us, Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Thank you for bringing that up, brother. But that's not how Jesus answers them. He could have answered them that way. He could have said that. Why didn't he say it? Why didn't he just answer them? Have you ever thought about that? Instead, he sort of makes a deal with them, doesn't he? He makes a deal. Look at verses 29 and 30. Jesus said to them, I'll ask you one question. Answer me. And I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. He told them, if you can answer me rightly, if you can really answer me, I will tell you. So here's his question. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. Now, one might think that Jesus has gone off the rails a little bit here. I mean, after all, what's John the Baptist got to do with any of this? It's almost like saying, why is water wet? Why is the sky blue? Answer me, and and then I'll tell you. Was he just picking something out of this, just picking it out? He's like, oh, John. Yeah, I'll ask him about John. No. This was intentional. Listen to this from, from Warren Wearsby. This is really insightful. He said this. God does not teach us new truth if we have rejected the truth he's already revealed. The Jewish 
religious leaders had not accepted what John had taught, so why should God say anything more to them? Had they obeyed John's message? He would have gladly submitted, they would have gladly submitted to Christ's authority, for John came to present the, the Messiah to the nation. God is not going to reveal any new revelation to them if they've already rejected what he's already given. That's why I brought up John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist was the one who did what? Prepared the way for the Messiah. Set things up. Got things ready. Made the way straight. So if they're rejecting his message, why give them more news? Why give them more truth? They've rejected the start of the message. Why now, when Jesus' ministry is almost done, give them any more? Even as they huddle up, notice that they're not actually concerned with um, finding truth, but with the consequences of their answer. I don't know if you noticed that. They're not really talking about, yeah, that's, that's a good question he posed. Let's, let's think about his question. No, they're just thinking, so if we answer this, he's going to say this. If we answer this, he's going to say this. They're just thinking about the consequences of their answer. Not the right answer. Look at verses 31 and 32. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he'll say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, they were afraid of the people. For they all held that John really was a prophet. The truth is they lacked the courage to give an honest answer. They didn't want to be shown up by this rabbi from backwoods Galilee and they didn't want to get stoned by the people. The truth is, the evidence of God's hand on John's ministry and the evidence of God's approval of Jesus was of no concern to these men. They didn't really care about that. What did they care about? Well, they cared about this. Neither Jesus nor John had the approval of the religious establishment of that day. They didn't do things in the normal way of that day. They didn't go to the religious leaders and say, hey, we'd like to learn from you, and then we'd like to get your stamp of approval, and then we're going to wait for you to send us out and teach. We're just basically going to teach what you want us to teach. Neither John nor Jesus did that. They actually ignored those men and often condemned them. Remember John the Baptist called them a brood of vipers. You are children of snakes. The Jewish leaders had not given them the authority to do their ministry. And they didn't like that. But Jesus came to do the will of his Father, not the will of man. So when they answer, we do not know, Jesus says to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. These Jewish leaders are more concerned about seeing Jesus' ordination papers than they are with actually considering truth. They're going to remain in the darkness, however, because they've continued to reject the light. Listen to this. Everyone who rejects the light remains in the darkness. It's a very simple truth, but it's really profound. If you reject the light, by the way, this is God's light shining, 
truth to us. It's the only source of divine revelation that we have of God. If you reject it, then you stay in the darkness. I remember when I was in the darkness. I remember when I was a teenager, living how I wanted to live, doing what I wanted to do. Of course, thinking I was okay because I was duped by the devil. Living in sin, all sort of filth flowing out of my mouth, all sort of wickedness in my life, but thinking at the same time, but I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die because God loves me. And I was right. My God that I had invented did love me, and he was going to let me into heaven. But he didn't exist, and neither did that heaven until the Lord revealed himself to me. How did he do that? When I was sitting in church one day, in chairs just like this, actually. Not at this church, though. When I was 19, you know how it started? Conviction, just like I talked about. I felt so guilty for my sins. I knew I'd done wrong. Those things that I was doing that I thought were okay, that the Bible said were wrong. Now God was pointing at them and saying, you know you're wrong. You know you're wrong. And that began the process of salvation for me. And the Lord saved me when I was 19, many years ago. So, Jesus came to do his Father's will, not the will of man. That's why I didn't answer these men. They had rejected the light so that they would remain in the darkness. And God was not going to reveal any more truth to them. Just like the question, listen to this, just like I, the question that I asked that atheistic professor, the question of authority is important. We all have a source of authority in our lives. It guides us, it directs us. And far too many people, like that professor and like the Sanhedrin, believe the authority is themselves, like I did. I wasn't basing any of my beliefs on some authority. I wasn't basing any of my beliefs on some, on some holy book. I just believed them because I wanted to believe them. I believed them because they fit in my life pretty well. They let me live sinfully and not feel bad about it. Because the God that I'd invented in my head, guess what? He was, he, was, he was sort of okay with sin. You know why? Because he was me. We don't want anyone else to rule us when we're like that, when we're living like that. So we reject anything that doesn't come from us. Because we love some aspect of our sinful life and we want to keep it. That's just what it boils down to. Listen to this from Danny Aiken. He said this. For so many people, the real problem is not the evidence. The problem is internal. It's us, our sin. The idols of the heart are the real issue. If I accept that Jesus is the Son of God who died for my sins and was raised from the dead, then my life will never be the same. But I like my life. With eyes shut and ears plugged, I do not want to talk about this anymore. Abraham said to the rich man in hell in Luke 16, 31, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. 
doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what miracles happen. It doesn't matter even what Jesus would have said to them. If they're rejecting, if you're rejecting, if I'm rejecting this, it doesn't matter what else comes at you. You won't be convinced otherwise. By submitting to Christ's authority is actually the beginning of your life. It's the beginning. That's the start of your life. The Bible calls it being born again. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 8.35. We've already gone over this months ago. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. I'm almost done. Remember at the beginning, I said, he who has the authority has the right and the power to do what he pleases. And then I also said, and thank God that everything that the Lord of heaven and earth pleases to do, he does in wisdom, he does in righteousness, he does in goodness, and he does in justice. Remember me saying that? That means we can happily submit to him because he can be trusted. His authority can be trusted. That poem, Invictus, later on got uh, rewritten by a Christian. Not the same man. Someone just used it, kind of used the same flow, used the same, um, what do you call it, in, in poetry. I forget, but like the rhythm. Listen to how the very ending was later rewritten, and we'll end with this. I have no fear though straight the gate. He cleared from punishment the scroll. Christ is the master of my fate. Christ is the captain of my soul. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you have ultimate authority because you're a good leader, Lord Jesus. You are a good leader and we can willingly, lovingly, acceptingly submit to one who has such authority because you can be trusted all your ways are righteous and good and I pray Lord that you would please expose yourself show yourself convince the ones that don't know you this morning those that might not know you Lord I pray that you would show yourself to be trustworthy I pray that you would be pointing at the sins in their life that are truly sinful and that you know that they know are sinful Lord convicting them of sin also convincing them of the truth and then lastly converting their souls. Or for those of us that do know you, Lord, please help us to continue to trust you. You had the authority to save us. You had the authority to speak truth to us, and you still do, and you will not mislead us. So help us to continue to walk in submission to the truths that you've laid out in Scripture. Help us to know that you're a loving leader who will never mislead us. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen.